Looking down, he saw a pink sifting cloud moving over the ground and in the air like the first snow in a blizzard that comes from nowhere, and he knew the locusts were coming up from the south. Then they began to climb, and they were going to the east, it seemed, and then they darkened and they were in a storm, the rain so thick it seemed like flying through a waterfall, and then they were out, and Compy turned his head and grinned and pointed, and there all he could see, as wide as all the world, great, high, and unbelievably white in the sun was the square top of Kilimanjaro, and then he knew that there was where he was going. Those are the words of Ernest Hemingway in his short story, The Snows of Kilimanjaro. In 1936, Hemingway was not the first person to ever look at the mountain, which rises 19,000 feet above the forests of Tanzania, making it the tallest mountain in Africa. Humans have viewed Kilimanjaro and Tanzania for not just thousands of years, but hundreds of thousands of years. It is possible that our first human ancestors would have known what Kilimanjaro looked like and talked about it with each other, much like Hemingway would eons of generations later. You're listening to Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia, episode 24, Mount Kilimanjaro. This episode is part of a larger series called The World's Tallest Mountains. If you'd like to follow along in the series, start with the episodes about Everest, K2, and Aconcagua. Hey, yo. Howdy. Getting to know you question. Okay. How are you different as a person now? than you were when you were younger? Let's say between the ages of like zero and 18. So I feel like there's a lot of ways you could approach this question, lots of places you could take the answer. But for some reason, two things stuck out to me about thinking about myself 18 and younger. So the first one, um, maybe this isn't as crazy as it sounds to me, but I, I think you might be shocked. When I was 18, I had never had Indian food. I had never had Thai food. I'd never had sushi. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that's where my brain went when, I, when you asked this question. But um, yeah, my, uh, my, fo- my food repertoire was very limited <laughs> as a younger person. I'm so but, surprised to hear that because we are exactly the same in that regard. I really? hadn't had any of those foods either. Yeah. Interesting. So, yeah, I wonder if I, so I sometimes attribute that to like, well, I grew up in this very remote, very small town, but I also think that, I mean, who's giving like a 14 year old sushi? Yeah. Because they're not going (laughs) to appreciate it. Yeah, exactly. Way too fancy. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. But I would have guessed that you had, that you had had those things because you were, you know, you grew up in a bigger, well, a big city. Yeah. Compared to me, at least. We had, we had access to that food, definitely. I mean, sushi might be kind of hard to find, like, really good sushi. But we just didn't eat it. I, I don't think my parents were into those cuisines. Typically, yeah. the stuff that we ate the most was Mexican food, which, mm. rock on. I love Mexican yeah. food. Um, but yeah, I, 
I was shocked to get to Provo, Utah and have Bombay House. And I was like, what is this? Oh, Bombay House. Delicious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so maybe that's an interesting way of looking at it. It's probably more a function of your parents because, again, what 14-year-old or 16-year-old is like choosing restaurants on a regular basis and being adventurous right. in that choosing, like that's probably not going to happen. So right, exactly. it's really more where your parents take you. Okay, I like that. That makes sense. When we uh, wanted to choose, we would pick Red Robin or Olive Garden mm. or something. You know, it wasn't it wasn't adventurous. Yeah. Um, to this day, I still, we even when we talk about sushi, my mom's like, I'm not going to, you're never going to get me to eat. <laughs> she won't eat it. She, I don't think oh, she would. Funny. And I tell her, like, there's plenty that are cooked. I think she thinks someone's going to hand her, like, a flopping salmon and she has to take a bite. <laughs> um, which is a completely understandable. Like, the raw fish thing, I get how that could throw somebody off. But I'm like, they mm-hmm. have them that are deep fried and they're unbelievably delicious. Yeah. Yeah. There's but, a, like, they've got, like, mayonnaise in them. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah. So if your parents aren't into it, that, I mean, I wasn't going to get sushi anyway. Other right. than, you know, like you said, going to college and trying stuff on my own. Um, but the other the other thing I thought about in regards to this question was I remember taking a personality test. So I was probably 15 or 16. Um, that's right about when I got Facebook. And I remember it being somehow connected. Somebody sent it to me on Facebook or something. So this was kind of early on in um, at least in my kind of social Internet life and really pretty early in the history of like social media anyways I took this test because all my friends were taking it and I remember it was trying to determine like um my whether I was an introvert or not um introvert versus extrovert and I remember being so like befuddled and not knowing because it asked a question like well would you rather do this or this like would you 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 know you've got plans for Friday night and um how do you feel about you know going out and seeing people and I just remember not knowing how to describe myself or think about that and um and partly I remember what I thought at the time was like well it depends on who who like if it's my 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 best friend or my brother or whatever that I'm really excited Mm -hmm. but other times I'm not anyways um it's so funny to me that I can look back and not know the answer to that because to me now clearly I'm clearly an introvert (laughs) (laughs) and uh and by that um I mean the definition that I've come to know is like where do you get your energy from yes uh-huh. do you do you need to go and um be with people to kind of get your spark back or do you need to just like just let me go sit by myself or let me hang out for you know a weekend by myself and then I'll, I'll get my energy back and and maybe it's changed you know maybe it wasn't as clear for me when I was 16 because my brain wasn't finished developing or whatever but now it's so funny to me because I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm such an introvert. I, <laughs> I, I just let me even from like like my wife, like I'm like, I just want to be in a room without other people in it, even mm-hmm. for just like 20 minutes. And then I'll just be in a better mood for whatever weird reason. That's just the way I'm made. So those are the two things I thought of. I didn't know I didn't know uh, what a California rule was. And I didn't know that being alone <laughs> recharged my batteries. <laughs> Oh, those are great answers. <laughs> I was, I've kind of thought about this forever, honestly. Like, you know, as you get older every year, you think back to the past and like, how am I different now than I used to be? And I always think like, oh, this is different and this is different. But I have kind of come to just admit the fact that I'm pretty much the same. <laughs> <laughs> 
I have always been a nerd. I have always liked the Mario games. I have always, you know, just have a certain vibe, I think, that has stayed largely consistent. <laughs> but um, at the same time, I do think uh, uh, several things are different. You might be surprised to hear that when I was a kid, I thought English and history were my least favorite classes. Oh, yeah, that does not compute. Doesn't compute, right? I was like, no, math and science all the way. Who needs huh. books? Yeah, that's kind of surprising. And but I that think also, that also adds up why you ended up doing statistics or not statistics. Um, it's um, there, right? Yeah, economic. Yeah, econ. Yeah, it's like the details are there. They're just, I think they've become fleshed out. Yeah, that's fine. I, I also thought when I was in high school, I was like, oh, I'm not as much of a math guy as I thought I was. But that wasn't right either, because mm. my brain is math centric. So it's just, you know, it all comes together, I guess. So what you're telling us is at no point in your past were you like carrying your lacrosse stick and being mean to people. and uh... Exactly. I have never <laughs> been that. <laughs> I've never been the dumb jock in the high school movie. Just have always filled my social place. Um, yeah, like if, if Wikipedia had existed in 1996, five-year-old Tyler would have been on it. Oh, 100%. <laughs> hey, speaking of that, did you have, we had um, like an Encarta online, or um, CD-ROM um, encyclopedia. I wanted that so badly. <laughs> I didn't that, have that. <laughs> I'd kind of forgotten about it. I remember getting on and reading oh, stuff. Oh, that's neat. Oh, man. That's very cool. <laughs> One of the ways I think I've also um, changed a lot, too, this happened, like, pretty much when we went to Guatemala. I think that was the shift for me, is that I was not as confident when I was younger. Like, if you told me as a kid that I would one day go on the internet and do a podcast where I talk for an hour, I'd be like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> get that away from me. Absolutely not. Like, I never would have done public speaking or anything like that. Oh, funny. And so I think that's gotten different as well. Now I talk oh. too much. <laughs> um, that's really funny because that's one thing for anything else that has changed in my life that has not changed. I have always been a talker. And... Um, oh. Yeah, my mom tells a story about when I was little, like five or six years old, um, I got asked to talk at our church. And um, what that meant was I was going to talk to like the, the children, like I, out of the 30 kids that were going to meet on Sunday, I was going to stand up and say something to the 30 kids, you know, read some scripture or something. And I thought it meant I got to address the entire congregation. And when I found out that I didn't, I was furious. <laughs> I was enraged that I didn't get to talk to the whole. To the whole you garden. were ready to give like a full sermon. Oh, I was probably going to call those people to repentance or something. I was ready. And then they were like, oh, no, no, it's just going to be with the other children. And I was like, this is a ripoff. <laughs> All right. We're talking about tallest mountains, Kilimanjaro. The tallest mountain. I was going to say, someone's got to sing it. <laughs> mountain in all of Africa, as well as the country of Tanzania. Kilimanjaro is the tallest freestanding mountain in the world. When Jeremy was on the podcast, he was making fun of these kind of distinctions where it's like, 
you're not Mount Everest, but we'll give you another title. And yeah. that is definitely what Kilimanjaro has here, which I think is actually pretty neat title, you know, even though it's not as tall as Mount Everest, it's the tallest freestanding mountain in the world, which means that if you go see it, there's no mountains around it. Yeah. Which and is... I don't know if I've, I've never really seen a mountain like that before. Have you? Yes. Um, and they, at least the, the, um, I can relate to that. And there's probably some sort of important difference that um, um, somebody who studies this could tell you about. But um, in Arizona, we have a couple of peaks that they call sky islands. Um, oh, okay. And it's because they kind of rise up from the desert and just go super, super high. And um, so one of them is Mount Graham, um, which is, um, I went to college near there for a little while. And then there's Mount Lemon, which is in Tucson. And so like you can be in Tucson and it's, you know, in April, like right now in March or April or May, um, early on in the summer, and it'll be over 100 degrees down in Tucson. And then you can drive about 40 minutes and it's literally just there's one mountain and you just zip up to the top and there's snow up there. Oh, wow. Because it's such just a, a big um, height or elevation difference. And so I can kind of relate to that. There's just this sort of desert floor and then it rises up. And while I, I huh. totally get um, that it is kind of like a weird um, consolation prize. At the same time, it, it does make it look way more dramatic. Like when you look at these images of, um, of mountains that are like this, where they're kind of the only mountain, they look like a mountain. They don't, you know, you're, you're standing not on a mountain and looking at a mountain as opposed to pictures of Everest where it's like you're up in the mountains looking at a peak of a distant mountain. So it, it makes right. it very striking. There's nothing really like this mountain to look at a photo of it. It's just unbelievably spectacular. I think uh, for me, the closest thing I've seen to a freestanding mountain isn't a freestanding mountain at all, but it's certain views of Timpanogos. Yeah. Remember in Provo? For sure. Like it's separated enough from the ridge of the Rockies that it's just there by itself. And this is much taller than that, but it's kind of relatable and so amazing just to see like standing in the middle of nothing. Yeah. So Kilimanjaro rises by the way to almost 20,000 feet, very tall. Some would uh, say it rises like Olympus above the Serengeti. <laughs> Some would say a famous band from the eighties, I think would say that. <laughs> And by the way, I think the reason, or I don't know if this is the reason that it's freestanding, but uh, what makes Kilimanjaro different from most mountains is that it's a volcano. Hmm. It is a dormant volcano. And, you know, it's not like a ridge where the plates are converging next to each other, which is what created the Himalayas. So it's just a mountain standing by itself. Kilimanjaro, the name is what it was originally called in Swahili. And it's actually not clear what it means. It could mean anything from white mountain to great mountain or even shining mountain. But it has three volcanic cones. And I was surprised to learn this. If you look at a picture of Kilimanjaro, the big flat one that you see in the middle is only one of the three cones. Huh. If you see a picture zoomed out, you may see one to the side, which is called, the one in the middle is called Kibo. And there's one on the side called Mawenzi. And then there's a third one that's pretty much indistinguishable from the land around it. 
it may be easier to see in person, but in the photos, it doesn't really show at all. And that one's called Shira. That's huh. the shortest one. And the, so the one in the middle is called Kibo and the peak of Kibo is called Uhuru Peak. So if you've ever known anybody who's climbed Kilimanjaro, I'm pretty sure the sign at the top doesn't even say Kilimanjaro on it. It says Uhuru, yeah. which is the name of the peak. Uh, one of my coworkers just climbed Kilimanjaro, actually. I thought that was pretty cool. It's yeah. no small feat, but you know, it is, it's doable in the same way Aconcagua was where you don't necessarily need all the gear and stuff. Yeah. As for the volcanology of Kilimanjaro, it was active between 2.5 million and 150,000 years ago. That's when most of the eruptions were happening, when most of the mountain was created. A very spooky thing is that Kibo, the peak in the middle, has a caldera. So if you go up to the top and you look in, there is a hole in the middle, as you would picture a volcano having. Hmm. And if I know anything from Super Mario 64, if you jump into the hole, it takes you into a new level. Yeah, a lava world. Yeah, it's a lava world. (laughs) (laughs) And there are actually openings in the caldera. They're called fumaroles. And there's these openings emit gases such as sulfur dioxide and hydrogen chloride. So I I imagine if you go to the caldera, there's like steam coming out and stuff, you know, it's, that's kind of spooky to me. Yeah. Kilimanjaro may have been known anciently to non-Africans as well as Africans. Ancient historians in Europe refer to the mountains of the moon in Egypt They talk about Egypt being nourished by the snows and a spring lake of the Nile emerging from the mountains of the moon. Kilimanjaro is in the same area as Lake Victoria, which is considered today to be the source of the Nile River, but it's probably not the source of the Nile. Like, it's not that close. The snows of Kilimanjaro are probably not what's filling Lake Victoria. But those ancient historians we're pretty close you know it's fascinating to me that they would have known about this mountain which is you know basically halfway down Africa maybe more than half Uh, and Kilimanjaro of course was known to anybody in East Africa anciently they have a cool story of it's like a myth of a man who lived on the mountain and he angered one of the gods so the god got mad and cursed a famine over all the land So when his village finds out about this, they get mad and they exile him. And the man goes and he takes refuge with a dweller who lives by himself. And the dweller had a bunch of cattle that had transformed out of the rocks. That's how he got his herd of cattle. The dweller was like, yeah, you can stay here. Just whatever you do, do not open the stable of the cattle because it's dangerous if you do that. And the man was like, I'm going to open the stable of the cattle anyways. (laughs) So he goes and opens up the stables and the cows go running loose. And the man's like, oh no, I set your cows free, even though you told me not to. So he tries to catch the cows, but the cows are just running wildly. And to get out of the way, the cows throw up these mountains to run on. And that includes the peaks of Kilimanjaro. And the cows escaped and the man collapsed on the peak of Kibo because all of a sudden he was running at 
very high elevation. <laughs> and that's the myth of Kilimanjaro. Wow. I thought that was kind of neat. Yeah, that's very different. Yeah. Vomiting cow, cows vomiting mountains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I don't know. Do you think it's like they threw it up out of their mouths? I was picturing oh. it as they like, like metaphorically just were like throwing with their hands. I don't know. Maybe. I mean, that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> in any sense, I mean, the cows were born from rocks in the first place, so they clearly have some magical powers, whether that's vomiting mountains or <laughs> throwing mountains with their fists. Um, so I followed the link on Wikipedia, and it says the cows produced hills to aid their escape. So produced? I think, okay. I think that they did not vomit the... Uh, <laughs> the the mountains as you know i assumed so yeah that that's the sequel of yeah. the story yeah that's um yeah two kilimanjaro two furious that comes out <laughs> so that's the long and short of kilimanjaro very beautiful mountain in a very beautiful part of the world i think um i think it's probably one of the more famous mountains if people were to name two mountains, they'd probably call Everest and Kilimanjaro, right? Maybe I'm wrong yeah. in that. No, I think a lot of people could come up with the name Kilimanjaro. I think, I, honestly, if you had asked me a month ago, tell me about Mount Kilimanjaro, I said, well, it's in a mountain in Africa. Hemingway wrote about it. And if you'd asked mm -hmm. me where in Africa, I wouldn't have even been able to, like, say west, east, north, south. I would have had no idea, let alone Not what at country all. it was in. Yeah. Um, so... But yeah, I think it's I think it's got great name recognition. I think so too. Uh, my friend Lindsay, who was on the podcast before, we talk about this all the time about how we are <laughs> totally ignorant in the United States. I think of African geography. Yes, you know a lot of it's it's like pervasive throughout all trivia questions. A lot of people can tell you the geography of the United States or of Europe, etc but people really don't know very much about Africa at all. Uh, there's actually, a, I think this is hilarious. There is a great Jennifer Lopez song that talks about her gallivanting around the world. And she goes to London, Vegas, Rome, Africa. <laughs> <laughs> and that is in the lyrics of the song. You know, oh, she goes wow. city, city, continent. <laughs> And I think that's a pretty good summation of how Americans see Africa, if I'm being realistic. I mean, at least in my opinion. Um, so my goal through this episode, at least, is to help break some of that barrier and get to know Africa a little bit better. Because it's very big. There's a lot to know about it. And it has a really fascinating story, I think. I would, I would definitely agree with that. And I think Tanzania, which is the home of Kilimanjaro, is a really cool place to start if you're going to start learning about Africa. And I completely agree with what you're saying, Tyler. I, I by far am the least like knowledgeable about African everything, just kind of geography. Like I have a general idea of kind of like the history of some places. Like I don't know very much about the history of Russia, but I could make some guesses. I could do, you know, like about, but name any country in Africa. And it's like, I really don't, don't know. It's um, hard. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting kind of phenomenon. I wonder, I wonder what the root of that is. Um, 
probably a lot of different things. But Tanzania is a cool place to start. And one of the reasons is um, no matter how uneducated, even if you're at my level of uneducation about Africa, um, when you picture Africa in your mind, I think most Americans probably are picturing, whether they know it or not, <laughs> Tanzania. Yeah. Um, it really is like the quintessential Africa. If you're picturing safari and big grasslands with cheetahs hiding in the in the tall grass <laughs> and lions and zebras and giraffes and the cool acacia trees that um, Rafiki lives in, all of that stuff, um, that's Tanzania. Yeah. Yeah. Tanzania has the Serengeti, um, which is, like I was saying, kind of the, the great grasslands of, um, of Africa. It, it has the, um, the big wildebeest migrations on the Serengeti. Oh, and, okay. Yeah. And, and the, the, actually, the, the animals of Tanzania are pretty unbelievable. 20% of the warm-blooded animals in Africa, 20% of the, of the species live in Tanzania. Um, which when you consider the size of Africa, how huge it is, the fact yeah. that they have 20% of, of the species, you know, on their list of live in our country um, is pretty unbelievable for just kind of a little corner of, of Africa. It has the largest lion population in the world. Whoa. Yeah. And so it, it's um, like I said, it really is kind of um, Africa in its in in what a lot of people kind of have seen represented. I mean, as silly as it sounds, but like in the Lion King, yeah. <laughs> in um, like any depiction of a safari that you've seen in nature documentaries, where there's these huge wildebeest, you know, um, migrations, and there's giraffes and all of that stuff. Um, you're probably picturing Tanzania. Um, some other cool things about Tanzania, I I will say it has a great flag. Oh. Um, look give, at yeah, give the, the Tanzanian flag a quick Google. Um, it's very that beautiful. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's kind of a, a nice lighter green, a very beautiful kind of aqua blue mm -hmm. and uh, then a black stripe with, with yellow bars on it. It's a very nice flag, very clean, very neat. Um, so you got to give it up. There are some bad flags in the world. And <laughs> uh, like, I think Guatemala's flag is pretty bad. Oh, has, really? Well, it, I love the colors, but it has like the crest with all the little writing on it. Yeah, it's I can't really you can't just easily draw it exactly, and that's yeah. um, that's kind of one of the like design principles that's supposed to a flag is supposed to have is it's supposed to be like you that's should be able point. to re recreate it. Seeing it from a distance, you should be able to draw it down. Um, yeah. But yeah, the Tanzanian flag is very beautiful. Um, and the name of the country, interestingly, comes from a combination of Tanganyika and Zanzibar. So I've never heard of Tanganyika, but Zanzibar, I, if you'd said that to me, I'd be like, that's a place, right? Mm -hmm. um, and those were two kind of um, autonomous areas that were combined and they took the Tan and the Zan and got Tanzan and then added an Ia <laughs> to the end. Um, so they combined the, the two names to get the, the, name, the new name of this country. Um, also, now is a good time to just get it out there that some people pronounce it Tanzania. Yeah, and I do. We I, know I, like, which one's correct. I, I I think they're either one is acceptable. I think Tanzania is um, the minority pronunciation, and I oh, don't okay. think I like it. Yeah, Tanzania. it's a little uh, it's a little silly, right? 
Yeah. Tens and the is a little bit more formal. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, you, you you can hear both. I think Tanzania is more common in the UK. Um, okay. Tanzania is also very interesting. It's one of the most linguistically diverse countries um, in Africa. It's the most linguistically diverse country in Eastern Africa where it's located. More than a hundred languages are spoken there. And um, but unlike other places where there's kind of like, for instance, we talked about in Central America, you're going to have lots of indigenous languages coexisting with Spanish. Um, in Tanzania, while there are kind of dominant languages, there isn't one um, like legal um, language. There isn't one that kind of dominates. So Swahili is used in the parliament for debate. It's used in lower courts and for instruction in primary schools. But English is used in foreign trade, diplomacy, the higher courts, and for secondary and higher education, which wow. if I thought that law school or the legal system was challenging in the United States, can you imagine if you're like, well, for this trial, it's going to be in Swahili, but if you appeal, <laughs> it's going to be in a different language. That's yeah. Bonkers. That basically seems like everyone has to be bilingual, right? Like. Yeah. If your primary education is in Swahili and then your secondary education is in English. Yeah. I mean, if, if you go through the, the, the educational system very far at all, you have to speak both. And basically yeah. um, what I saw, it was like 90, uh, 10% of people speak Swahili as a first language uh, and 90% speak it as a second language. So everyone's going to speak Swahili, huh. but English is, is in there. Although there has been... Um, there are plans being discussed to discontinue English as a language of instruction in the schools. So maybe they'll move away from that. Um, it's, it's kind of been in the works, but on that note, um, there's been some, as of when we're recording right now, which is um, March 20th, um, the, there's uh, the president of, of Tanzania has passed away in just the last few days. Oh, wow. So uh, the previous president, John uh, Magufuli, uh, died this week, and a new president, Samia Suhulu Hassan, is now the president. Um, president Hassan is the first female president of Tanzania. She was the, uh, the vice president equivalent, and she um, took over when the president died. Interestingly, the president who just passed away was like a big-time um, um, like skeptic of the COVID virus. Um, he kept saying that it wasn't real, that it was all being made up, um, that like, you know, it's some big conspiracy and it's um, pretty widely believed that he actually contracted COVID and died. And oh. um, the, like the opposition party is saying he got COVID and died and, and he, he like was refusing vaccines for, for his citizens um, didn't want to like accept any vaccines because it wasn't whatever. And, um, but he kind of has, he basically fell off the map for the last few weeks, um, the last, last couple months of his life. And um, the, the kind of supposition is that he contracted COVID and then um, was trying to lay low and that he actually, instead of dying this week, he may have actually died like two weeks ago, but nobody wanted to admit it. They were trying to keep it like a secret. So Whoa. there's kind of some, crazy drama surrounding Tanzania right now, but they do have their first female president. She just took over. And, um, and so we'll see if they decide to discontinue English now, maybe that was the previous um, president's. 
push, but that's Tanzania. It's really kind of a cool country. It in some ways is um, one of the more, it's a kind of a, a, a success story in Africa. Africa is unfortunately plagued by lots of corruption and there's lots of um, poverty and there's um, drinking water accessibility issues and all that stuff. And Tanzania, not in everything, but in a lot of those is kind of ahead of the curve. And so it's, um, it's a country that's doing well. It's very, very beautiful. Um, and if and when I get to go on a safari, which I would love to do, go and see kind of these animals, um, maybe I'll end up in Tanzania to go see it. So if you're like me and the way that you read about history on Wikipedia is that you click through the articles and you're like, well, what happened before that? Okay, well, what happened before that? And <laughs> what happened before then? And if you do that with human history, the interesting thing is that you will be pulled back to Tanzania at some point. Yeah. Tanzania seems to be the location of the oldest human records that we have, the oldest groups living in the world come from Tanzania. Some of the oldest human fossils that have ever been found are also in Tanzania in this part of the world. So I think it's really fascinating that we get the chance to talk about this country because in some ways it's almost like the cradle of humankind, at least yeah. from what we've, what we've gathered so far from the anthropological record. Yeah, definitely. As um, Liz Lemon's boyfriend in 30 Rock says, he can't fill out his census because he doesn't know what country to put. <laughs> We all come from Africa. <laughs> we all come from Africa, maybe even Tanzania. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um, a very cool, almost, I don't know if this is, <clears throat> I don't know if this is the right description, but almost like a living fossil that we have today is a group of people who live in Tanzania. It's an ethnic group called the Hadza people. And there is some very special history to the Hadza people. The, by the way, there's about 1,300 people in this group. They live in northern Tanzania. About 400 of them still live a hunter-gatherer lifestyle, the way that humankind would have pre any civilization. They are unique because they are genetically not closely related to any other group of people on Earth. And they're also unique because their language, Hadzane, is thought to be a language isolate, which means it is a language also unrelated to any language on earth. Wow. It is thought that the Hadza people have lived in the same territory for tens of thousands of years, wow. going potentially all the way back to 50,000 BC. <laughs> Jeez, yeah, and I feel like on this podcast, we're always talking about like what would have been contemporary at that time, like what was going on in England. I don't have an answer for you as for 50,000 BC because I don't know any other history that comes from that time period. That is yeah, so I mean, much older than anything we've ever talked about. Yeah, that's that's literally prehistory. That's what it's called. It's <laughs> that's crazy. The Hadza people live near a place called Olduvai Gorge, which is also sometimes called the Cradle of Mankind because of the hominin fossils that have been found there. Some of the fossils are around 2 million years old. Wow. The people have ancestral myths 
that are so different from like the myths of, you know, Greek and Roman mythology or any myth really in that they include stories of ancestors who were doing things that pre-human ancestors would have been doing. Their stories are about ancestors who lived under trees. They slept under trees instead of in houses. They learned to use fire and they discovered medicines. These are the kinds of things that they remember their ancestors doing. So like instead of the, when I was a kid, we used to have to walk to school in the rain. It was like, (laughs) When I was a kid, we were pre-language and hadn't discovered agriculture yet. <laughs> when I was a kid, I didn't know what a house was. <laughs> wow. That thing, yeah. So I wanted to just close on this with the Hadza people. I think it's, first of all, it's really cool to learn about this group of people. And I think it's cool, too, that they're still thriving. It's not thought that their language is in danger of dying or anything like that. And a lot of them still live the ancient lifestyle. Yeah. But I wanted to close with this just because I think it's such a funny coincidence here that it is not a big stretch to believe that the very first humans on earth might have had Kilimanjaro in their backyard. Yeah. Isn't that think interesting to think about like what they would have been viewing and seeing and it could have totally been that mountain. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I would, I will recommend as well, go look at the Hadza people page. It's got full of really cool stuff. Um, one of the things that I was struck by is, so the current Hadza people live in um, like camps, tr- um, small tribes, basically of 20 to 30 people. And they are like, there's no governing hierarchy and they're almost totally huh. egalitarian. Everyone's basically equal. Um, the elderly are like somewhat held in higher regard, but like men and women are pretty much equal age. Isn't super important. Everyone just kind of has a voice and they live in these sort of crazy little, um, not crazy, but just so different from, from what most people are, are, are used to seeing in any culture, really just sort of this, everyone's equal. We all make decisions together in these little packs of 20 to 30 people. Um, which as far as I understand, it would be pretty consistent with, like you were saying, what the earliest people that we know of, how they would have lived with, Mm -hmm. with uh, um, this mountain behind them as they, you know, lived their lives and watched the sunset. Yeah, totally. That's interesting that the groups are so small. I think I just immediately assumed they all lived in one place together, but that is consistent, I think, with hunter-gatherer groups is that they never got larger than 20 to 30 people before they would split right and um in my experience 20 to 30 people that's about all the people you need to know yeah you don't need, is, right you don't need more yeah. than 20 30 people at yeah. that point you're forgetting names you're doing the hey uh you know yeah but you wouldn't have that problem if all you knew was 30 people and you just all kind of lived together and did your thing A small footnote before we close out the episode today. The sign on the top of Kilimanjaro now does say Mount Kilimanjaro, but that was added in 2014. Before then, it just read Uhuru Peak. Before 2012 and after 2014, the sign was made of wood with yellow writing carved into it. But in between those two years, they tried a different model, 
a sign with a shiny green plastic background and bright yellow writing, like lemon-lime soda. It was unpopular with climbers and quickly revoked. Thanks for listening today. If you'd like to follow the show, you can check us out at at Rice and Tyler Talk Wikipedia on Instagram, at Race and Tyler Pod on Twitter, or you can email us at Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia at gmail.com. Thanks again. We'll see you next time.